Well, this afternoon we're starting a new series in the book of James, chapter 1. The title of the series is Living in Joyful Service to the Lord. And the title of my message this afternoon is Authentic Faith is Always Tested. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to James 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 11 together. I'm reading the ESV version. James 1 verses 1 through 11. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brothers boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower fails, falls, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so my desire this afternoon as we start this journey on examining the book of James chapter 1 is that we will all learn to discover how to live a life of joyful service to the Lord in every single season of our lives. Our relationship with God is primarily a spiritual one and I want us to develop and understand strategies and pathways to tackle every trial, every temptation with robust faith and divine wisdom. Never forget, we have already got victory over every trial and every temptation through Jesus. Our aim and our focus must be on enforcing that victory that Jesus supplied for us at the cross. Now, when we consider life here on earth as we all know it, I don't think that there is a greater experience that has the capacity and the capability of exposing and highlighting our true self like the moments when we endure suffering in trials. For believers across the body of Christ, when the trials emerge, often our default response is to fully expose our hearts and our attitude for everyone to ultimately explore and examine, potentially at our expense. We respond out of hurt. We speak from our wounds, not our scars. And the reality is, for us as believers, we will fall into one of two groups. Group one, we choose to surrender afresh to God, to honour Him, to bless and praise His holy name, declare His goodness and faithfulness over our lives, or we fall into group two. We mutter under our breath about how God has seemingly failed us. We stop praying and we, quote, walk away from God, often succumbing to sin in the process, all the while qualifying and justifying that sin and our actions, because essentially God has let us down, right? Wrong. Let me encourage you, friends, learn this kingdom principle. Dignify the trial. My dear friend RT taught me that a number of years ago, and I promise you, 
it actually works. <clears throat> now I can hear you saying, well hang on, what's the difference between these two groups of believers? The reality is there's probably a number of different considerations to think about. Maybe previous experiences through trial, maybe you're going through trials right now. Heart attitudes come into the equation. But here's what I want you to consider to be a key contributing factor. It is what each of us know and accept about our suffering that distinguishes those two groups. Now I say that because James here in this uh, chapter is addressing those that have already endured significant trials. And he's encouraging them to remain undeterred in their faith because of the strength of what they know. That resolve that courage, that boldness is needed for us as believers today if we are to overcome the trials and the temptations. Now James indicates that we can rejoice because we have a semblance of understanding about our suffering, which means that the reality for the people in that time is our reality today. We don't often know when the trials and temptations occur, how long they will last, is it just one, or are they like London buses that come along two or three in succession? But I want us to think about, well, what do we know? Seemingly only one avenue is presented to us this afternoon, and it's contained in verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's it. Nothing else is seemingly assured to us or even inferred by James. And it's crucial that we accept the scriptures for what they say, and we don't start subconsciously adding uh, extras in an attempt to ease our frustrations or ease the suffering. And, and in find in different ways that we don't allow the scriptures to read us as much as they should in our lives. I encourage you this afternoon, choose the best response. I dare you, I challenge you, tackle every trial with the most outrageous, radical, counter-cultural, courageous response of all. Joy. Are you a joyful person this afternoon? It's a question to consider. James's words also lovingly confront how many of us will ultimately feel in our suffering. And it's crucial that we accept our trials are attesting. And those, def by definition, our trials are therefore not random, they're not pointless, that they have a purpose in our lives. Now, whether you're a believer here today or not, every one of us, our lives are littered at different points, at different junctions with trials. We cannot avoid them. And as believers, we must learn to tackle every trial with faith and wisdom, mixed with a bit of tenacity and consistency. If we can accomplish this, then the three learning outcomes for us this afternoon will be accomplished. The first is learning to count it all joy as a divine means of maturity and growth in your walk with Christ. The second is asking God for wisdom to face and to overcome those trials. And the third is embracing the immeasurable value of humility. Now, it's important that we acknowledge that James commences this chapter by identifying himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. At this point, he's an apostle, but he takes the lowly position because he recognizes the true value of his relationship with God was spiritual and not physical. He didn't need titles. He didn't need that affirmation in his life. He knew who he was in God. And that should represent an excellent starting point for us as we position and posture our hearts this afternoon to overcome every trial through God and through His Word. Because as believers, we have to actively and consistently choose to confront those trials with faith 
and wisdom. In those moments, we get to advance and affirm our faith afresh through humility, through understanding God's word and the wisdom that we can actually apply to our lives each and every day. So let's consider them one by one this afternoon. Count it all joy. Hmm. The word count, the dictionary definition is adding the number of items in a collection one by one to determine the total. Now, it's worth acknowledging here very early on that James is very clear. Count it all joy, which means that this is an all-encompassing, comprehensive statement of fact for us to reflect on. James gives us no opportunities to present extenuating circumstances or gives us any outs on why we don't need to have joy. He, he commands us to count it all joy. He then advances his thoughts with the words, when you meet trials of various kinds. Ouch. There is certainty attached to that by James's words. There is no distinction made on the fact that we will not face a trial or we might or if you face a trial. He's very clear when you face those trials, which means we must meet those trials with joy and faith. That has to become our default response this afternoon. Our faith needs to be firm but flexible because James, interestingly, refers to the trials of various kinds. Now, those two words stand out for me this afternoon because they indicate that our trials might be multi-layered, have multiple different facets, may change in form and intensity and in purpose in our lives. Have you ever felt in your life that you've been, quote, attacked on all sides? It's an interesting expression that we use. There is a solution to this. Put on the full armor of God to prevent each and every attack on and through your life. When your faith is threatened, when your faith is tested, or even stretched to the point of breaking, the result will always be a greater capacity for you to endure in and through your life. That makes you impregnable to every tactic of the enemy. That makes you courageous. You will not be overcome. You will not be overthrown, but you will live in that victory that we know we have in Jesus Christ. But the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Now, your translation of the scriptures may say patience. Verse 3 starts with the words, for you know. Now, what James is referring to here is the confidence and the conviction that you and I have in our biblical understanding of the scriptures. He's reminding us that every biblical teaching we've ever been taught, every sermon, everything that we've ever heard around the scriptures has grounded and rooted us in who we are and that is what we've been exposed to in our Christian lives. That's what, therefore, we must learn to lean into. That's what we need to remind ourselves of. That's what we need to embrace and let that take full root in our lives. Now, we know that that testing produces a path to maturity, to growth, and to development in our Christian walk. But what exactly is steadfastness? It's well translated as fixed in one direction, firm in one purpose, unwavering, firmly established. What a wonderful image of trust and confidence for you and I to lay hold of this afternoon. But there are some caveats. In our endeavours, in our pursuit of this, we can't allow sin to take root in our heart which means that we cannot lose focus of the call of God on our lives. We cannot allow ourselves to be deter deterred or discouraged by our trials. These trials, whatever you're going through, has been designed to increase your grace and your steadfastness. Now, I'm going to take it a step further. God values and loves faith so much 
that he will often allow testing to seemingly breaking point in our lives. There is only one reason for that. God wants to keep our trust healthy. He wants to keep it pure. He wants to keep it strong. God places a premium value on authentic faith. That is why only authentic faith is always tested. This means occasionally, but often regularly, but always graciously, you will find that God will remove things, people, certain situations from our lives that we might find ourselves trusting in or somehow leaning on or relying on in some capacity up to the point of life itself. Why? Because God desires that we grow stronger and continually in our confidence in Him and Him alone. So my question to you is, have you got there this afternoon in your journey? When I was thinking about all I need is you, God, it reminded me of an old Hillsong United song, which I'm not going to give you a rendition of this afternoon. All I need is you. The opening two verses are as follows. I left my fear by the side of the road. I hear you speak and I won't let go. I fall to my knees as I lift my hands to pray. Got every reason to be here again. The Father's heart that pulls me in and all my eyes want to see is a glimpse of you. All I need is you. Simply put, friends, we must arrive at that reality at some point in our Christian life. That is the vast majority of most believers. They won't get to that point. I encourage you, be one of those believers that do this afternoon. Another consideration for us, however, is submission, which means we've got to permission our hearts to surrender to God, to let Him do His work of maturity in us. Verse 4 reads, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James here is very clear. He's commanding us to surrender to the will of God. Consider this thought for the moment. The Creator of heaven and earth is waiting patiently for you to give him permission to work in your heart. Wow, that should tell us how significant and how important that is. But also recognize that it's a process. Only when the fullness of this has been formed, we will be left perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Not before, only in its fullness. What a place to arrive at. I want to get to that place, do you? I hope so. Now we move on to the second point this afternoon. Asking God for wisdom. It's really captured in verses 5 through 8. Let me be clear. Trials will always reveal and reinforce our genuine need for his guidance and strength in our lives. We have to trust that God will provide and hear our prayers. We know that every good gift comes from God. We know the promise of a prayer for wisdom and guidance will be given to each and every one of us. God will give us divine wisdom graciously, but also unconditionally. He will not rebuke. He will not refuse any request. But also an area that we need to tiptoe in a little bit this afternoon. We cannot doubt. If our heart is filled with doubt regarding God's goodness, then we are guaranteed to become unstable in our faith. And subsequently, we're going to struggle to live out God's protection, God's provision, for our lives. Let me be clear, James is not referring to us being hypocrites here, but there is a very real danger that we could become flimsy or fickle and even erring in our hearts as believers if we have doubt in our hearts. 
Luke declares in Luke 11 that we must pray and ask in faith, confidence. Our faith at that point has to be grounded, established and resolute for each and every trial. The faith that Luke is actually referencing about is about the afflictions, the trials, the temptations that we endure. But those things are ultimately dissipated and then subsequently destroyed by the enormity of God's power, God's promises over our lives and us carrying God's word in our mouth and declaring it in the name of Jesus Christ. It forces us to choose one or the other, doubt or faith. We cannot doubt and say that we have faith in God. They are mutually exclusive, friends, which means they both of them have anticipation of something happening, but both are derived from two very, very different sources. Nothing will diminish your heart and your mind quicker and more profoundly than doubt. It produces absolutely nothing in our lives. It slowly erodes the trust and the confidence that we've built up over our years as believers to the point that nothing actually grows and matures in us. I encourage you this afternoon, doubt your doubts, send them away, diminish them, destroy them over your lives. It's not your portion. And the third and final consideration for us this afternoon is we have to learn to rejoice in humility. And that's ultimately captured in what James declares in verses 9 through 11. Trials will always clarify what is certainly valuable to us in our lives. The victory over challenges in one season will act as a springboard to provide us the grace in the next season. This also means the greater the intensity, the greater the volume of our trials and our challenges that any believer faces, the stronger we ultimately will grow in Him. A kingdom-centered principle is crucial for us to acquire is the process of humility. Now, generally, this is learned through trials, but occasionally it can be learned through humiliation itself. We find in James 4, verse 6, that God gives grace to the humble. The rich and the powerful will always be humbled in Christ. And we can see that our value is always based on our spiritual growth, on who we are in God, in our maturity, and in our capacity to be joyful, and our humble service to God. Not by any social status, not by any financial strength that we may or may not possess. The external appearances of our lives are withering and worthless. James refers to it as the grace of the fashion. Now I think sometimes I need grace over my fashion choices. Maybe you do too. But know this, only the things of the kingdom will ultimately last in our lives. Let me tell you friends, there is nothing that can put you beyond the reach of rejoicing wholeheartedly in God. It is down to us whether we choose to rejoice in Him or not. Consider this, we should always consider it a profound honour to be dishonoured for the sake of Jesus Christ in our lives. Paul eloquently captures this for us in Philippians 1 verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul clearly and exclusively associates belief in Christ with suffering. Paul doesn't extrapolate this. He doesn't give a shopping menu of options. He makes it very clear that if you believe in Christ, there will automatically be suffering attached to that. This proves that they are constantly connected. However, Paul does give 
some respite for us in verse 25 of Philippians 1, saying, For your progress and your joy in faith, he will continue with you. Now, he is referencing Timothy there, but it's an encouragement to us that joy and faith are also inextricably linked at this point. Now, that leads me to the concluding thoughts of James in verse 11. Worldly wealth, he describes it as a flower withering under the heat of the sun. The riches of the world are unsteady, unstable, uncertain. Therefore, we shouldn't channel too much of our effort, too much of our focus in that area as they will ultimately fade away. Now, he also summarizes that all of our personal goals, our agendas, our projects, our plans, etc. are all, all summarized by the words, his ways. Bad news, friends, those two will also fade away. Only what we do for God will last. So, in conclusion, some summarizing thoughts for us this afternoon. These verses show us how to conduct ourselves when we find emerging trials and temptations in our life. James has ultimately unearthed all the spiritual tools and heart attitudes that we need to overcome and live in victory. Friends, we are not defined by our trials, but we are shaped by our responses to those trials. We must come to the realization that trials are often a pathway into the rewards and blessings that God wants to make available to us. More on that next week. Because when we are in times of trial, it is our patience, not our passion, that begins to stir within us. And that's when the work that needs to be done is ultimately done. And so my prayer for you this afternoon is whatever challenge you're going through, whatever is happening in your life, whatever temptations you encounter, know this, that God can absorb every trial, every temptation through his patience. Give him time and space to operate in your heart and in your life. This will require you to surrender your right to be right, your desire to be in charge, and even your motivation to be in control of every area of your life. It will also require us to soften our hearts. Believe me, when this work is ultimately completed and realized in our lives, it will give us all the wisdom, all the focus, and all the confidence that we need to continue our walk as spirit-filled, emboldened believers that carry a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the four corners of the earth and make a tangible change in every community, in every context that we find ourselves in. So, the goal is not to pray that you don't have trials. James is very clear. The trials are going to come, so you can't avoid them. But I encourage you, pray for divine wisdom. Pray to make full and right use of every trial, and you will overcome. You turn that trial into a triumph, that triumph into a testimony. For that, we need divine wisdom. Proverbs 2, verses 6 and 7. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to all those who walk in integrity. If we truly trust God, we don't need to understand, but we do need to accept every trial. Grasp every challenge, face it head on, see it for what it is, a divine opportunity for you to live in joy and to have your faith stretched and examined by the King of Kings. Declare what the psalmist unequivocally stated in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire besides 
you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Well, I pray that that word has been a real blessing to you as we start this series in joyful service to the Lord. Let your authentic faith be tested. Let your heart not be troubled. Stand firm, root yourself in the things of God and you will emerge from every trial, every temptation with victory, with joy in your heart, with a sense of humility, but also His divine wisdom that will help you journey forward out of every trial into the triumph that God has for you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.